Good morning, church, and welcome again to our online service. We're glad that you can join us and be part of this uh, experience. We've been, uh, we started a series a couple of weeks ago on the book of 1 Peter, and we've been sort of traversing through some of the important things in this book, uh, just to, to remind ourselves that Peter wrote this letter to a group of churches that were scattered all throughout uh, the region of Asia, and this letter was mainly to encourage them, to uplift them, and to help them, because they were going through persecutions, sufferings, difficulties, problems, and Peter really wanted to encourage them and help them to continue to go forward. In the midst of them facing uh, rejection from the people that are around them, from the Romans and the Greeks and others, uh, Peter wanted them to know who they were in Christ, and Peter wanted them to know the blessings that they have because of Jesus. And so we're going to study this portion of scripture from uh, 1 Peter chapter 2, which really focuses on who the church is and what the church's responsibility actually is and who the church is in Christ. It's, it's very interesting that we're studying this portion of scripture during the time of COVID because um, many people maybe were itching to get back into a physical building, were itching to get back to what church was like before. But what Peter highlights in this portion is really what the church should be and who the church really is. And I think maybe one of the results or hopefully one of the results of this pandemic has been that we have been able to discover who we can really be as the church and how we can really look to the Lord and allow him and his spirit to work in our lives through this time of the pandemic and really be the church. And so let's look at some of the things uh, that Peter talks about here, because we can get very institutionalized uh, as a church. We can have events and programs and activities and do all of those things, and they're great and they're wonderful and they can reach people. But really, God is looking for us to be an organic living organism as the church and to declare and show forth the praises of the Lord. So uh, I want to start off uh, this message really by going to the conclusion. I want to go to the end of this portion to give you sort of what the final outcome is or the final result or what Peter's really looking for so that we can study some of the other portions in light of this final outcome or this conclusion. So in 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse 9, he says at the second part of that verse, as a result, you can show others the goodness of God, for he called you out of darkness and into his wonderful light. So here's the result. He said the result or the end or the conclusion, the, the main part of what I'm trying to talk about, Peter is saying, is that you need to show others the goodness of God. You need to proclaim the goodness of God. You need to declare the goodness of God to others. And so we as a church, this is really our responsibility, not a physical building, but as part of the body of Christ. In 1 Corinthians chapter 12, Paul talks about uh, the members of the body of Christ as the church, uh, that we are all united together as one, whether we're hands or feet or ears or eyes or whatever, each member within the body has an important role. And he uses this, this uh, metaphor of the body to, I think, really emphasize the organic living aspect of what the body of Christ should really be. And again, in this time of COVID, maybe we're all itching to get back into the building and there's nothing wrong with that. And we're all itching to maybe get back to church as, as what we used to remember it to be. But I think maybe God is challenging us. Maybe this time of COVID is really helping us to really see what the true meaning of the church is, what the true emphasis of the of, uh, that the church should have and how we as members of that body should really act uh, and react. 
in this verse in 1 Peter 2 and verse 9, this part about declaring the goodness of God. In, in other translations, uh, it's, a, it's said in a few different words, but still the same meaning. It says to declare the praises of him, to proclaim the excellencies of him, to proclaim the virtues of him, to tell all the wonderful things that he has done, to proclaim the wonderful acts of God, to tell of the excellent qualities of God. So all of these things are the end result, what we should be doing as a church, as a body of believers. So in this passage, we actually see three sort of uh, parallel metaphors. Now, Peter's using all sorts of metaphors in this passage, and he's mixing metaphors here. And so we want to see uh, three main things of uh, what Peter's trying to say, of a, a metaphor of Christ and us as the church. So the first thing is that Christ is the living cornerstone in the temple of God. And we are living stones in that same temple. First Peter chapter two and verse four says, you are coming to Christ who is the living cornerstone of God's temple. He was rejected by people, but he was chosen by God of, for great honor. See, Peter here is actually re referring to a passage in the Old Testament. And a lot of the things that we'll talk about and see in this passage really have roots back in the Old Testament. And so we're going to look at, look at it in that light. But what Peter's referring to is something that was written by the prophet Isaiah in Isaiah 28 and verse 16, where he said that God was going to lay a precious foundation, a, a precious cornerstone and a sure foundation prophesying about Jesus being that cornerstone. Isaiah 53 speaks about the sufferings of the Messiah, prophecy about how Jesus would come into this world and suffer and die for his people. And then you get to Psalm 118, verses 22 to 25, and it says, the stone that the builders rejected has now become the cornerstone. There's a prophecy about Christ because Jesus came into this world and he was rejected by his people. He was rejected by the Jews. He was rejected by his own. But then he was accepted by God and became that sure foundation, that precious cornerstone. And then it says, this is the Lord's doing and it is wonderful to see. This is the day the Lord has made. We will rejoice and be glad in it. Then it says, please, Lord, please save us. So here the psalmist is, is prophesying about what would happen to Jesus as becoming that precious cornerstone, that sure foundation. But then he says, this is the Lord's doing. This is what God is allowing. God allowed Jesus to come into this world. God allowed Jesus to, to suffer, to be rejected by his own people, to die on the cross and then be laid as that sure foundation, that precious cornerstone in the house of God, in the temple of God. Not a physical building, but a spiritual building. Not something physical that can be touched, but it's a, a, a spiritual temple that the Lord is building where Jesus is that cornerstone. And then he's inviting us to be living stones in that spiritual temple. How amazing is that? That we can be part of this spiritual temple that God is making, part of that house of God that he's making, that we are members of the body of Christ. So in a very similar way, Peter is trying to talk to these scattered churches. He's trying to talk to these uh, followers of Christ in all these different places that are going through persecution. They're going through, going through rejection by the Romans, by the Greeks. They're, they're facing some really hard times. And Peter's saying, hold on, don't worry. Do you know that Jesus went through similar uh, times of rejection and persecution? And now God has taken him and laid him as that precious cornerstone. And you also, friends, will go through trials and persecutions and rejections because God is making you those living stones in 
his temple. Peter wanted them to see your trials, your problems, your rejections, the things you're going through are not in vain, but God is accomplishing his, his will and his purpose in the same way that Jesus went through those things and they became part of that living temple. In 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse 5, it says, and you are living stones. There's this organic nature that's there. There's something that's very real that's there. You are living stones that God is building into his spiritual temple. In 1 Corinthians 3 and verse 16, it says, don't you realize that all of you together are the temple of God and the spirit of God lives in you. So we become that, those living stones, we become the temple of God. We're also part of that body. Again, a lot of metaphors that are being used, but the Spirit of God comes into us and makes us part of that temple. Some time ago, we studied uh, about the life of Joseph, and Joseph was a man that went through so much rejection. He was rejected by his brothers. He was cast into a pit, thrown into a pit by his brothers, and then sold into slavery into Egypt. Now, I don't know, can you get any worse than that in terms of rejection? That was pretty harsh that Joseph went through. But what did Joseph say at the end of this sto- at that story in Genesis 50 in verse 20? Joseph says to his brothers, you meant it for evil. You rejected me, you cast me into a, into a pit, then you sold me into slavery. You meant evil to me. But God meant it for good to accomplish his will and purpose. And finally, we see Joseph as the governor over the whole land of Egypt. Dear friends, God is doing a work in our lives that even as we go through trials and rejections and problems, he's making us living stones in his holy temple. He's making us part of this beautiful body that is living and doing and working out God's will on earth as it is in heaven that we are part of that body that's displaying the goodness of God. Remember, that's the conclusion at the end, but I shared it at the beginning because I want us to keep remembering this throughout, that our purpose in being part of those living stones is to declare the goodness of God. Another, another metaphor here, the second one, is that Christ is the high priest and we are holy priests. Hebrews chapter 4 and verses 14 and 15 talks about how Jesus is that high priest. It says, so then since we have a great high priest who has entered heaven, Jesus, the son of God, let us hold firmly to what we believe. This high priest of ours understands our weaknesses. He knows what we go through for he faced all of the same testings we do, yet he did not sin. He was holy. Right? And then after that, it says that so we can come to the throne of grace and find mercy and grace to help us in time of need. See, Jesus is our high priest, right? He's interceding for us. He is uh, mediating on our behalf. But then we see that we are also called to be holy priests. That means that we also minister to God, but we minister to one another. How? By declaring the goodness of God, by proclaiming the praises of the Lord by declaring and talking about the excellencies of the Lord and what he's done for us and how he's good to us and how he's working in our lives. First Peter 2 and verse 5, a portion of that verse says, what's more, you are his holy priests. Through the mediation of Jesus Christ, again, as that intercessor, as that high priest, you offer spiritual sacrifices that please God. Last week, we spoke a little bit about holiness and our call to holy living. And so here it says, we are holy priests. We are called to be those priests that minister to the Lord and minister to others, right? It's part of being this beautiful, holy temple, living stones 
in God's temple that he is building and making. The third thing is that Christ offered himself as a sacrifice and we offer up spiritual sacrifices. Hebrews 9 and verse 14 says, just think how much more the blood of Christ will purify our conscience from sinful deeds so that we can worship the living God. For by the power of the eternal spirit, Christ offered himself to God as a perfect sacrifice for our sins. See, Jesus offered himself as that sacrifice. He came down to this world. He suffered and he died on the cross in order so that we might be redeemed. We might be forgiven and have eternal life. His sacrifice was the perfect sacrifice. But he doesn't leave it at that. In this portion, it says, we as holy priests are called to offer up spiritual sacrifices to the Lord. So we actually need to follow his example. His example was the best, perfect, and most excellent sacrifice of himself and of his blood to redeem mankind. But now we, as holy priests, need to offer up spiritual sacrifices to the Lord. That's why Jesus says, take up your cross and follow me. He's calling us to follow in his footsteps. He's the great high priest. We're holy priests that we follow in what he has already done. How do we offer up spiritual sacrifices to the Lord? By doing his will, by worshiping the Lord, in acts of service and acts of love. Again, declaring the goodness of the Lord, sacrificing for the kingdom of God, helping those in need. All of these things are spiritual sacrifices within the temple of God, this spiritual temple that we can offer that pleases the Lord. What, uh, what kind of sacrifices can we offer to the Lord? Can I ask you today as you're watching, can you ask yourself that question and say, what am I offering to the Lord? What is my spiritual sacrifice that pleases the heart of God? What am I doing right now, especially in this time of COVID, where we need to be the church, where we need to be that organic living organism of the church that is fulfilling the mission of God, that is doing uh, what God is calling us to do? Can we ask ourselves that question and say, what am I doing to make a difference? during this time of COVID? What am I doing to declare the goodness of God because he's called me out of darkness and into his marvelous light? Romans 12, one and two talks about giving our bodies as a living sacrifice, acts of love and service that we can do, worship, uh, giving a word of, uh, of encouragement or of faith to somebody else to help them in their time of difficulty. There was a man named Doug uh, Nichols, and he was the international director of an organ a missions organization called Action International Ministries. And when he was uh, serving at one point overseas, and he got TB, and he had to be hospitalized. And when he was there, and it was, there was not much in, in the country that he was in, not much care that was there that was really good. And uh, what happened was there was another elderly man there and he would get up in the nighttime and he would try to go to the bathroom, but he couldn't. He was just so very weak. And in the morning, the place would smell. And so many of the patients got so upset at this man because the nurse had to come in the morning and clean him and clean the smell and everything like that. One day, one, one night at 2 a.m. in the morning, Doug Nichols got up um, because of, you know, he was going through his own issues. And he saw this elderly man trying to get up out of the bed to go to the washroom, but he just didn't have enough strength and he just, he couldn't get up. Doug Nichols went over there, picked up that elderly man, took him to the bathroom, which at that time was just really like a hole in the ground, and helped him to go to the bathroom and then took him back. An act of love, an act of service. 
Now, before this, Doug Nichols was trying to witness and share the love of God to the people that were in there in, in that room. And he had uh, books of the gospel of, of John, and he was trying to share that with, uh, with others, but he didn't really have any success. But that night, when he helped that man out at 2 a.m. in the morning, at 4 a.m., somebody came to his bed with a hot cup of tea and asked him, can I have one of those books? See, that act of service made a difference and spoke volumes. It declared the goodness of God. It declared the wonders of the Lord. As Doug Nichols was acting as that holy priest, was acting as that holy priest and offering up a spiritual sacrifice to the Lord and serving this elderly man, God was glorified. And that person came at four in the morning and asked for a gospel of John. And then throughout the day, more people started to come and talk to him and ask him for that literature. Can you see how our love can transform and change? Our love can do amazing things and bless others. Many years ago, I was a Christian school teacher in Brooklyn, New York. And uh, in that school that, that I was teaching at, we had something that was going on during lunchtime called PUSH. It was an acronym that stood for Pray Until Something Happens. And every lunchtime, we would gather together for prayer. Myself and a, maybe a couple of other teachers and some students, we would gather in the library and we would pray and pray. We were praying for revival. We were praying that the Lord would come down. We were praying that the Lord would touch the lives of these students and would do a, a, a radical work of transformation. And we just kept praying and praying. And so we prayed, we prayed, and we prayed some more. And we kept praying because we had this, this sort of uh, slogan and what we believe, pray until something happens. And so there was one Friday when normally we have a, a chapel service. A chapel service was when one of the pastors from the church would come and share a message and we would have a time of worship and preaching of the word of God. And uh, that was their, their, their weekly chapel. But one Friday, the pastor called and said, hey, he can't make it. And he was like, you guys just continue on. Let me tell you, what happened on that Friday, I still remember till today. It was an amazing experience when the Holy Spirit came down upon that school. And we had a chapel service, but it was unlike anything else. The students began to worship the Lord. The Spirit of the Lord came down upon uh, the students and upon the teachers. And the, and the meeting went on and on and on. I think it went on till about 3 or 4 o'clock that day. We had to eat lunch at about 3 or 4 o'clock. That one-hour chapel service lasted for hours because God's Spirit came and, and the students were being touched and impacted by the love of God. They felt the Spirit of the Lord all over them. Some were crying and some were rejoicing and we had uh, prophecies and, 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 and the Spirit of God was speaking to different ones about what, what He wanted them to do. And uh, we had uh, even messages and, sh and thoughts shared from the Word of God and times to worship. It was such an amazing day. But it wasn't only just that day. But then the following Friday and the following Friday, I think it went on for a few months, that our one-hour chapel service was no longer one hour. It ended up being, most of the time, a large portion of that day. And the Holy Spirit was moving. The church was being the church. There wasn't something structured. There wasn't something organized. But it was just the Spirit of God that was moving. And it was us being living stones within that body and sharing the love of God one with another, blessing one another with words of encouragement, blessing one another as we worship the Lord together. And we saw how the church really was the church in those days. And so in this passage, you can ask the question, 
Who's the temple? It's Jesus. Who's the priest? It's Jesus. Who's the sacrifice? It's Jesus. But you can also ask the question, who's the temple? It's us. It's you and me. We're living stones within that temple. Who's the priest? It's us. We're holy priests ministering to God and ministering to others. And who's the sacrifice? Well, we're called to offer up spiritual sacrifices to the Lord in worship and in praise, in declaring his goodness, in declaring his, his wonders and his great acts. We are the temple. We are offering up spiritual sacrifices. We are those priests that God is calling us to. Now, after this, Peter talks about two sort of groups, people that trust in the Lord and people that stumble at the word of God. He talks about people that will trust in the Lord and they'll have confidence in God because they believe the word of God. And then he talks about others that will stumble at that rock, stumble at that cornerstone because they're not able to believe in Jesus. Maybe there's some doubts and there's some things that are hindering them from coming really to know the Lord. And I want to encourage you today. I pray that you won't stumble at God's word, but that you would receive God's word. We would love to be able to connect with you. We would love to be able to share more with you about who Jesus is and what it is to have a relationship with Jesus Christ. So if you want to send us an email, if you want to connect with us on our website, we would love to get in contact with you, give you a telephone call and, and uh, be able to see whatever way we can help you to understand more about what it is to have a relationship with Jesus Christ and to be part of this living temple. Because... Peter continues to write, and he gives four classifications of who, this, who we are in Christ, of who this temple really is, of who we are as we accept Christ, as we walk with him, as we become part of his family. He uses four different uh, sayings uh, to sort of express these qualities. Right Now remember, he's writing to a group of scattered believers uh, of churches, uh, and he's writing to a groups of people that are going through persecution and sufferings and difficulties. And he's, so he's trying to encourage them and saying, hey, I know you're going through a hard time, but remember, you're a chosen people. Remember, you're a royal priesthood. Remember, you're a holy nation. And remember that you are God's own possession, right? And he, he wants to remind uh, the churches and the people and the followers of the Lord about these things. So in 1 Peter 2 verse 9, it's probably one of the most uh, important verses in this whole letter, uh, probably one of the most quoted verses in this whole letter, where it says, but you are not like that, for you are a chosen people. You are royal priests or royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's very own possession, as a result, you can show others the goodness of God. Remember, that's the conclusion of it, right? That we shared at the beginning. For he called you out of darkness into his marvelous or wonderful light. So these are a few reflections that Peter is having about who we are and about uh, who actually we should be. Now, all of these things actually describe Jesus, right? Because this is actually who Jesus is. Jesus is that chosen Messiah. Jesus is a part of that royal priesthood. Jesus is that holy, that holy God. And, and Jesus is a very special possession, right, to the Lord. And so, but it's also a reflection on actually who Israel was. Again, remember, as we said, Peter is talking a lot about what was uh, referring to a lot of Old Testament metaphors and Old Testament verses. And so even this verse in 1 Peter 2, 9, Peter's actually referring back to something that was written in the book of Exodus. In Exodus 19, verse 5 and 6, it says, You know how I carried you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. This is the Lord speaking to his people, the children of Israel. 
And he says, now if you will obey me and keep my covenant, you will be my own special treasure. Sound familiar? You will be my own special treasure from among all the peoples of the earth. For all the earth belongs to me. And listen to this. You will be my kingdom of priests, my holy nation. See, Peter is invoking some of these words that were used in the Old Testament, trying to remind the people of God. Remember how God is calling you. Remember what God says about you. Remember the blessing that God is bestowing upon you because you are his people. And I want to encourage you today, if you're a follower of Christ, you are part of this holy nation. You are this royal priesthood. You are a chosen people. And I want to encourage you as well today that if you've never committed your life to Jesus, he longs for you. He's that high priest that's waiting and inviting and asking, please come to me. I want to make you part of that chosen people. I want to make you part of that royal priesthood. I want to make you part of that holy nation. I want you to be my special chosen possession and treasure. That's an amazing invitation that he gives to all of us. And he's inviting you today as well to be close to his heart to know his love, and to experience him. So just very quickly, as I, as, as I end this, is uh, just these four things. What, what can they actually speak to us about? The first thing is a, a chosen people. We see here this word chosen in the Old Testament again, because we're referring to a lot of stuff that Peter's trying to tie in from the Old Testament into, into here to remind the people about who they actually are in Christ. But a lot of the times the word chosen is used is when it's the calling of a prophet. God chose various people in the Old Testament to be prophets and to speak the word of God. God empowered them by his spirit for a special purpose and a mission. And really, even uh, in the Old Testament, we read that Moses said in Numbers chapter 11 and verse 29, he said, I wish all of the people were prophets and that God would pour out his spirit upon everyone. It it was a prophecy uh, that Joel made in Joel chapter 2 about how the Lord would pour out his spirit upon all people. And it happened on the day of Pentecost when the spirit of God was poured out. And in in many sense, it was the starting of something called the prophethood of all believers, that we are that chosen nation. We are that chosen people to be prophets. Now I'm not talking about like predicting the future and things like that. No, When when I say prophet, I'm talking about somebody who's empowered by the spirit of God to fulfill and accomplish the mission of God. And that's what we are called to do. We're called to declare the goodness of the Lord, as it says in 1 Peter 2, 9. And so when we hear this terminology of chosen people, God has chosen us to be prophets, to fulfill the mission of God, to be empowered servants, to do what he's calling us to do, sharing the message of the gospel, sharing the goodness of God, declaring the wonders of the Lord. The second thing is that it's a royal priesthood. Now, this word royal priesthood combines two terms together, royalty that that denotes kingship, And then priesthood, again, we talked about being holy priests. One person, I think, in the Old Testament that sort of combines those two together is King David. King David was probably the greatest king of Israel. The Bible talks about him and says that he was a man after the heart of God. He loved God. Now, there were times that David even functioned like a priest. There was a time when he wore the the ephod, which priests would wear, and when he was bringing in the Ark of the Covenant into the city of Jerusalem. There was another time when he needed some food to eat and all he could eat was the shorebread, which was in the the temple in the house of God that was supposed to be only for the priests. But David was allowed to eat it and God didn't strike him down and God didn't condemn him for doing some of those things because he had a heart of love for God. And in many ways, David was that 
kingly priest. In many ways, as David ruled over the people, he ministered to God and ministered to the people. In many ways, David had the good of the people in his mind to be that priest that would intercede for the people of God. In Revelation 1 and verse 9, it says that God has made us a kingdom of priests to God. And so we are part of that kingdom. We are part of that kingdom that's a kingdom of priests. There's a sense of royalty, a sense of rulership, but also a sense of ministry as well, being a priest to minister to to others. And so this is what God is calling us to be, a royal priesthood, to rule and fulfill his will, but also to minister to others and minister to him. And then it says a holy nation. I won't spend much time on this because we talked a little bit about this last week when we saw how God is calling us to a holy life. God is calling us to holy living. And sadly, Israel didn't live up uh, to this calling, but God sent Jesus to die for us. And because of him, we are, as we talked about last week, positionally sanctified. We are looked upon by God as holy. And that's why he says we are a holy nation. Now it's up to us as well for a, a progressive work of sanctification to be fulfilled in us. But when Jesus looks at us, he sees us as his holy people as a holy nation. And it's a theme that's woven all throughout this book of First Peter. And the last thing is that we are God's very own possession. It shows the individual worth and value that each and every one of us has. And nowadays when there's a lot of debate and tensions and so many things going on in the world, we have to realize that each and every one of us, we are created in the image of God and we all have individual intrinsic worth and value. And in the sight of God, we are his very own possession. We're his people. He cares for us. He counts the very hairs of our head. He knows us intimately and deeply. In 2 Corinthians 6 and verse 16, uh, the Lord says there, I will walk among them. I will be their God. And they will be my people. Something very intimate, something very close all of these things here, these, the, these phrases of holy nation, royal priesthood, um, all of these things bring us back to this conclusion of who the church really should be in these days or what the church really should be doing in these days. Now, because of COVID, we're restricted in some of the events and activities and things that we can do. But should that restrict the real living organic church? No. As part of this building that God is a spiritual building as part of members and body and of the body of Christ we need to live out who the church really should be we need to be people that are acting and are demonstrating the goodness of God that's showing who Jesus is his goodness his kindness his love the marvelous nature of who God is we need to be the church if we can't gather in a physical building if we can't have all of the events and activities that we can normally do we can still be the church. I see it in so many beautiful ways in some of our life groups that are, that, are, that are still supporting one another through prayer and encouragement and in other practical ways. I see it in, in, in times when we're able to go down to the Toronto Alliance Church and still minister to the needs of the poor and needy in that area through our master's pantry that we're doing uh, every couple of weeks on Saturdays and, and blessing the community around us. But those are still all things that might be organized There are so many ways and so many stories that we probably don't even know about, but we'll hear about in heaven, of how this living and organic church have holy priests that are not only ministering to the Lord, 
but ministering to one another. And this is the most important thing. We as the church should be part of this mission to do that, to declare the goodness of God because he's called us out of darkness and into his marvelous light. Let's be that living, organic church declaring and proclaiming the goodness of God to others. And, and this is the challenge for all of us. What are we doing today to declare the goodness of God? What have we done in this season to declare the goodness of God? How have we been the church, even though we can't have come together as a, uh, in a physical building, not yet at least, hopefully soon, Maybe we can't all have all the events and activities that we would like to have, but that doesn't stop the Spirit of the Lord because God's Spirit is still moving. God's Spirit is still working and God's Spirit is still touching us and filling us and changing us and transforming us and inspiring us to go out and be the church, inspiring us to go out and fulfill the mission of God, inspiring us to go out and declare the gospel, inspiring us to go out and be who we're called to be as that church, as the holy priests, as living stones, offering up spiritual sacrifices that please the heart of God. What can we do today? When you see throughout history, you see a lot of the revivals, a lot of the movements of God didn't happen because it was organized. It happened because the Spirit of God moved upon the hearts of the people of God as those living stones in the temple of God, as those members in the body of Christ, and inspired them to go out and do great things. We see throughout the Great Awakening that happened a couple of centuries ago, it wasn't something that was organized, but it was people that were holding open-air meetings outside and people going on horseback, preachers going on horseback like George Whitfield and declaring the Word of God and hundreds and thousands of people coming to know who Jesus was. We see the growth in churches uh, in China and Korea and, and even in the Middle East and people coming to know Christ through visions and dreams and through sharing one with another. There's not something that's necessarily organized and a structure that's put into place, but the Spirit of God is moving in the body of Christ and the members of the body of Christ, the members, the living stones in the temple of God are being moved and inspired by the Spirit of God to accomplish and do great things for the gospel. It's amazing to see what God is doing all around the world. There was a man many years ago, his name was Jeremiah Lamphere, and, and he wanted to respond to the call of God, and he joined a church and tried to make things happen, but nothing was really happening, and he asked the Lord, Lord, what should I do? The Lord said, have a prayer meeting. And so he organized a prayer meeting that was going to take place between 12 o'clock and 1 o'clock lunchtime, and mainly for business people to be able to join. It wasn't, in, wasn't about a church or anything like that. It was like, I'm going to hold a prayer meeting 12 to 1 o'clock just for businessmen. And, uh, and people to come and join and pray. So the first meeting was on September 23rd, 1857. And on the, that first day at 12 o'clock, do you know how many people showed up? Zero. By 12.30, there was one person. By one o'clock, there was uh, six people that were there. But next week, as the Spirit of God was moving, there were 20 people. Then the first week in October, the meetings ended up being daily instead of weekly, and the number increased to 40. By the fourth week, they had over 100 people that were meeting and people that were being convicted by the Holy Spirit and touched and wanting to know more about Jesus and how their lives could be changed and saved. Within six months, 10,000 people were gathering for prayer. It was known as the Fulton Street prayer meetings. And it all happened organically because one person said, let's get together and pray. I want to encourage you today as part of the temple of God, 
that spiritual temple, as holy priests within that spiritual temple, let's offer up spiritual sacrifices pleasing to God. Let's give our bodies to the Lord as, uh, as, uh, to serve him. As it says in, in Romans chapter 6, let's give our members as instruments of righteousness to the Lord to accomplish and fulfill his will. Let's take up our cross and follow Jesus and respond to the call of God. Many years ago in Africa, there was a, a, a village that had a very small church. They had about 48 people in that church. And as time went by, a war broke out, and the missionaries that were there ministering into that small little church, they were forcibly evacuated. They couldn't stay. They wanted to, but they couldn't. And they were so sad to leave uh, that church because they were going to leave that church pastorless. They were going to leave that church without the Bible because all they had were just a few small portions of the scriptures translated into their native language. And so they were so sad to leave that small church, no pastor, not even the full word of God. But the spirit of God was still moving. Oh, Jesus was still building his church. Oh, the Lord was still doing something amazing because living stones were being placed with Jesus as the cornerstone. Those living stones were still being built because it's God's church and the gates of hell won't prevail against the church of the living God. Five years later, when those missionaries came back to that village to see what had happened to their friends, that small little church was no longer a small little church. They had gone from 48 followers of Jesus to about 10,000 followers of Christ. They'd gone from one small little church to about 100 churches throughout that area. And you know what made the difference? They asked, what happened? They said it was the love of God that was shared amongst those followers of Christ that was displayed to the people that were around them that made such an impact on those people. It was love that changed their hearts and caused them to want to know more. And they became followers of Jesus. Dear friends, today, let's offer up spiritual sacrifices that are acceptable and pleasing to the Lord. Let's be those holy priests in the temple of God because he's made us living stones. He's made us part of this beautiful experience that we can be the church of what he really wanted the church to be. People that are working and living to bless others and declare the goodness of the Lord. As we sing this song, Cornerstone, let's worship the Lord together. And remember, Jesus is our cornerstone. He's our firm foundation. We can build our lives upon him and trust in him and declare his praises, declare his goodness, and see the spirit of God do the rest. God bless you.